Well, thank you, Paul and our music team. You can see why I read that passage of Scripture before I got up here, because I think it's the longest section I've ever preached. But the reason for that is because it really comes down to a very simple point. And we hope to get to that today. Next week we'll be back to a normal pace of maybe three to four verses a week. But um, I'm so thankful for God's Word that I can stand up here on Sunday and not tell you what I think, but what God thinks. <laughs> so when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, He gives you eternal life. You hear that a lot from, from me. He sets you free. He sets you free. And this is what he says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, for you were called to be free. So the question is, free from what and free to do what? Two things that I would say that he sets you free from. One is condemnation. Shame, guilt, and being condemned. When Jesus forgives your sin, he cancels that debt. He forgives all of your sin, past, present, future, done, gone, wiped away. Now, you may not feel that way, but that's the fact. And all through the Scripture it says that. You're free from condemnation, shame, and guilt. Isn't that amazing? You're also free from the control of that sin, from condemnation of your sin, but the controlling power. Now, that doesn't mean Satan is not there and your old nature wants to pull you back to your old ways, and it doesn't mean that you're tempted constantly by this world, but you have a greater power in you than what's around you. So you don't have to sin. You don't have to go the wrong way. You are free from the controlling power as you trust in the Lord. Now, it's a battle. Granted, it's a battle, but this is an amazing truth. When Jesus Christ gives you eternal life, it's not just your ticket to heaven. He has removed you from condemnation of your sin and the controlling power of sin. Isn't that great? So that's what we're free from. But what are we free to do? Because <laughs> I think there's, that's the other part of this. Well, typically, the way and we, way we naturally think is, woohoo, I'm free. I'm going to go do what I want. But that's not what this is about. I think that we could say, you know what, I, I, I am so glad. It's kind of like when you, you get out of uh, the home or you get out of college or you, you hit a certain milestone in your life, you know, and you say, you know what, now I'm free. <laughs> But if you're not careful, you're going to put yourself back into bondage. You know how we talk about legalism? You know what? Legalism is, is a form of um, religion and even kinds of it in Christianity where you, li you live your life by a list of rules of do's and don'ts. It's miserable. And when, when God frees you from that, sometimes people can 
go to the other extreme and just kind of live like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I call that sometimes cheap grace. You have no idea what Christ has done for you and how he wants you to live. So what I'm free from the controlling power of sin and the condemnation of, I am, of, of that sin. And, and if, I, if I am free to go do what I want, this is what we probably naturally would desire is I want to choose what I want to choose. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. That's why a lot of 18-year-olds go join the Marines. <laughs> well, hello. And what you do is you, you go back into a form of great bondage. Because I tell you what, when you do what you want to do, rather than what God wants for you, you put yourself in a little box. It's a very lonely box. It's miserable. Not only you become, you will become, if you, if you do everything you want to do, you'll become the most miserable person in the world and everyone around you will be miserable. It's called selfishness. It's all about me. I want to do what I want to do. You, I promise you, will be miserable. I promise you, everyone around you will be miserable. So, free to do what? You're free to follow Jesus. You're free to follow Jesus. I'm going to come back to this. I'm kind of giving you up front my point, and then it'll, later it'll be on the screen at the end. But I wrote this down. You are free to follow Jesus, to fulfill his purpose for your life, and to find the joy and peace that only he can give. That's what you're free to do. One of the problems in Corinth, as much like we have today, is they, they had become very selfish people. And they had gone from a Christ-centered, God-focused community to being selfish. And this is one of the manifestations that Paul is talking about here in chapter 9. And he's going to confront them about a particular issue, but it reveals the, the broader, deeper issue of self-centeredness rather than Christ-centeredness. So the title of our message is Free to Do What? How will you exercise your Christian liberty? Because you're free. How will you exercise your freedom? Now in this text, I mean, when I read through it, I don't know if it made your brain hurt a little bit like it did mine. When I first read it, I said, Lord, help me as I prepare this message. Um, he asked 20 questions. 20 questions. You know how I tell you when you study the Bible, always ask questions? Well, he does it for us here. 20 questions. So I'm not going to answer or try to answer all 20 questions. I'm going to kind of categorize them into three basic questions, because I think he he has a series of questions on one point, a series of questions, and then makes a final point. So that's how we're going to kind of work through this, this passage. So here are the three categories. Number one, what are the rights of your new freedom? What rights do you have? Two, what are the responsibilities of our new freedom? And then finally, what are the resolutions of your new freedom? In other words, what will you decide? How will you respond? Rights, responsibilities, resolutions. So first of all, let's read um, really our, our thesis statement at the beginning where he asks in verse 1, am I not free? This is his first question. Am I not free? He says, am I not an apostle? 
Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? This is, uh, sometimes we call this a polemic. It's an it's a argued or a reasoned defense. In fact, in verse 3 of this uh, passage, he says, My defense to those who examine me, um, the, the word defense, and I don't want to get too technical, but is, is apologia. We get the word apologetics, which means the reason, defense, or defending your faith or reasoning with someone else about Christianity. Now, this is where we live, folks, because I tell you, most people in this world today, increasingly numbers of them are agnostics they, they, you know, or atheists or they have no belief in God's word. And so we're not just having people nod their heads about God and about Jesus. So typically, in all the relationships we'll have out there, People don't believe in God, and they have questions. That's okay. We should not be put off by that and say, well, and just argue with them. No, Paul would engage in a reasoned apologia, a, a defense of his faith in a loving, kind, but very firm way. And we can, we can have the same confidence to be able to do the same. And I hope that as, as we go, you will be increasingly equipped to do that. You'll never have all the answers. So don't wait till you do. The moment you have a personal faith in Jesus, he's going to start using you, and he'll be with you. So that's our, our thesis. And this is really flows out of a, a, a particular situation. And he's, he's talking about him and Barnabas and supporting them in ministry and so forth, but he's getting to an even bigger idea. Paul, what I love about Paul, he's very confessional. And what he writes. He doesn't just talk about facts out here and give you the facts. He, he speaks out of his life. He, he's, he shares his story. He's constantly sharing his story. So this is his experience. So let's explore um, the rights, responsibilities, and resolutions of freedom. What are the rights of your new freedom? Paul begins by talking about his rights. In verse 4, he says, don't we have the right to eat and drink? And we obviously, of course you do. But he's talking about a basic human right. He says we, he's talking about the group, his, his band of uh, comrades. He always had uh, guys he traveled with, Barnabas in particular here. And um, he's, he's, he's saying, don't, don't we have a right to be able to have food and shelter and clothing? And this is why when we read through this, he's talking about being supported as a missionary apostle by these people. And uh, they've been holding back from helping him. He's had to go back and work on build, you know, make tents. Uh, it's not the way God designed it. So he's dealing with a, a kind of a personal thing, so it's a bit awkward, but he's still bold in it. So what are Paul's rights? Of course, he has human rights. He has rights as a Jewish leader. He's part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council in Israel. He has rights as a Roman citizen, which were huge. He makes reference to this a number of times when he's thrown in jail uh, is that right for you to treat a Roman citizen this way? And, and people that, who were not Roman citizens did not have a lot of rights. You had slaves. You had people who were not Roman citizens. They don't get anything. Uh, our culture in America, we, we feel like we have certain rights. He has rights as a Christian uh, that, that, are, that are given to him all through Scripture. And, and he speaks specifically here, rights as an apostle. What is an apostle? An apostle is someone who 
was with Jesus personally, was taught by him, and sent by him. So my understanding of Scripture, there are no present-day apostles. These were unique, sent by Jesus himself to take the good news to the ends of the earth. And he, he uses this for his authority. He says, I have been sent by Christ. And the evidence of that is the people. He said, you're my seal. In other words, it's a, a seal back then was like a stamp of approval. So I have been sent by Christ. I have authority to say this. I have been sent. And you are the evidence. Your transformed lives, at least you were on the right track, are evidence of that. And so what, what's happened is they're, they're slipping back to old ways. And, and Jesus had taught, we, we have, he talks about this, the oxen should eat the grain, uh, take care of the priests in the temple, all through the Bible. And what Jesus would say, too, is you go into a city, uh, find a person of peace, they welcome you into their home, they give you a place to stay, they give you food. And then you, the apostles, and these people focus on the gospel. And that's why the church should take on the responsibility in that day to care for these guys as they're traveling, preaching, teaching, developing churches, discipling people. And now they've decided, you know, we're not going to help Paul. Paul. Paul has, I'm not sure all the motivation for it. He has what he needs or whatever, but they're not helping him and Barnabas. So Paul had reverted back to making tents. Now, he could do that, and he should be willing to do that. But whenever he's making tents and selling tents, he's not <laughs> giving himself to the gospel. See how this is a little bit awkward? Because it, it could sound selfish, like Paul wants their money or wants their food or wants a place to stay. But I think he's above all that to, to dig into where they're becoming selfish and they're starting to make decisions that are not right. So when we bring this to the 21st century, we are very rights conscious today, aren't we? I started writing down off the top of my head, human rights, civil rights, women's rights, children's rights, rights of the unborn, gay rights, religious rights, states' rights, legal rights, voting rights, rights to bear arms, rights of free speech, right to assemble, right of privacy, and right to remain silent. <laughs> now, we live in a, a, a very different, but we would be kind of like, like Roman citizens, and we have these rights. And... When we focus on our rights, now we, we have them, and Paul would actually state them. So it's not like we ignore them or not aware of them, and we don't exercise them. I think all of that is true. As, as an American, um, I'm going to exercise the, the rights I have. And I, I will, to a degree, fight for them. But if, but if I allow this to suck me over with all my time, my world starts closing in and become very, very selfish. It's like a little box. And I think that's what's happened to the church today, is with a lot of these issues that we should stand for, should speak out on, should clarify what we believe, if we're not careful, we lose sight of why we're here. Most of the world doesn't share these rights. So that brings us to our second question, what are the responsibilities of our new freedom? Because this is, along with every right, every privilege, every gift, 
every freedom comes responsibility. And typically, we would rather focus on our rights than our responsibilities. It's just the way we are. But Paul says, I, I have a right to these things, but I also have this responsibility. And he states it in verse 16. This is what I said. He, he kind of spends the first 13 or so verses talking about rights. In fact, five times he uses the word rights, 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 rights. I have these rights. Okay. Granted, I do. However, I have this responsibility. He says, I am compelled to preach, and woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul has a responsibility to announce, to herald, to communicate the good news of eternal life. He feels the weight of that responsibility. Now, when he says this, there, there are, of course, many other responsibilities. If you were to ask me, Matt, what are your responsibilities in life? Well, <laughs> um, responsibility to God, I have a responsibility to my wife, to my kids, I have a responsibility as a neighbor, as a citizen. Um, I could list many, many responsibilities that I have. And, and we could digress into that. But just as Paul was listing all of his rights, um, he also had other responsibilities, but the, the overarching responsibility that all of us have, everyone here has, is to share the good news. Now, we feel a little intimidated by that, but you think of all of the other responsibilities, they're temporal. This one's eternal. This one's eternal. That's why it's so much more significant is the good news of eternal life. And so when, when I say the word gospel, I know that's kind of a, it's used a lot of different ways, but literally it means good news, what the good news. And he, he actually defines that in chapter 15 where he says that Christ, he died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That, that's the kind of the definition of it. But it, it's, it goes way before that to, to before God created the earth. He loved us. He gave us free will. He created Adam and Eve. He gave them free will because you can't have relationship without free will. You can't create robots and have love. So in order to have love and relationship, he gave free will, which he knew we would sin. You say, well, that, why would he do that? Because he has to give us free will. And immediately he gave the promise of redemption away. Immediately he gave the promise of the coming Christ. He didn't wait. We find that right in chapter 3. Sin in chapter 3, promise of redemption in chapter 3. And if you believe, if you simply call on him, he will give you eternal life. He will set you free. He will give you purpose to live. So nine times he uses this word gospel. Good news. The good news. The good news. <laughs> and he says, this, this is my responsibility it is all of our responsibility. I don't want you to think it's your responsibility to stand up here on Sunday, that you have to do it the way I'm doing it, but, but this is just a part, this isn't really the, this is the part that God's asked me to do, but it's all of us being prepared for that. So, the gospel 
for me, becomes something that is the most important thing for my children, my grandchildren, my neighbors, my friends to know. If there's a cure for cancer, cure for diabetes, the greatest news in all that there is nothing that is more important than to hear that Christ has died for your sins. He's taken all the condemnation. He's offered to you eternal life if you just believe. Just call on him. Just call on him. He will save you. He will give you eternal life. And he'll give you a reason to live. Now, folks, there is no better news. There is no more important responsibility that we have on the face of the earth than doing that. And the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. We need to recognize that. So Paul had this sense of urgency uh, wherever he went. <clears throat> so this is what, and I, and I ask you too, I, I, I know when I, when I hear that, I kind of feel <laughs> overwhelmed a bit because I think that scares me. <laughs> I, you know, what am I going to say? I, you know, do I have to go out and be this evangelist? I'm grabbing people by the throat or standing up on the corner of the street and, and repent. <laughs> um, let, me just, let me just share with you how this develops. If we look, when we come to the, the resolution, we, we know this, we have a responsibility. The resolution for Paul is really how we, we wrap this, this up. It's kind of like the final question. What are the resolutions of your new freedom? And, and I think, too, that, you know, my father-in-law just gave me some great advice one time. And uh, you've heard me share it before in, in, in relationship to marriage, but I think it's in every relationship. It's, it's it, you know, Matt, focus on your responsibilities. Don't focus on what you deserve or what you want or what you should have. Don't focus on other people and what they're doing, but focus on what you're responsible to do and, and get in on this because that is the one thing you can obey and follow and do. When you're focused on your rights, you can't control that. When you're focusing on what other people are doing, you can't control that. When you're focused on how you're being treated, you can't control that. And you, and you get a lot of this energy and it gets very small. You can be the best dad. You can be. Not perfectly. You can be the best wife. You can be the best mother. You can be the best teen. You can be the best student. You won't be perfect. But if you get your focus and your energy into following Christ and doing what is right and fulfilling your responsibility and obeying Him, <laughs> your energy is productive. When I get my energy worrying about stuff, what's happening in our country and politics and sickness and disease and what other people are saying and doing, I, I, just, I just miss everything. So here's re Paul's response, and uh, he expands on this, of course, like every part of this. When we talk about rights, he expands on it. He talks about responsibilities, he expands on it. Um, he's not asking, you know, when he's saying this, I'm not asking for you to give me your money, give me your food, give me a place to stay. He said, I'm willing to work, and I don't, I don't want to make it about me. But you folks, need to get, you folks need to get your eyes off yourself and what you're doing to the bigger picture of what this is all about. 
So here's his response, verse 19. And, and really, I think you could sum up this whole section, as I was saying, in this verse. He says, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. He said, I'm free. I'm no one's slave. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm an apostle. He said, all these things, you know, I'm free. But I am willingly submitting myself, making myself a servant, a slave to win more people. So what do you mean win more people? To win more people to the gospel so that people can hear and know and believe and, and come to the joy of salvation. For that purpose, I'm willing. Do you know anybody else who did that? Jesus. <laughs> he humbled himself. He came down from heaven, lived on earth, born in a manger, lived a life as a carpenter, uh, humbled himself to follow his father, even to the point of dying on a cross. So here you have God making, he said, and he calls Jesus my servant. Jesus didn't have to be a servant. He's king of kings and lord of lords, but he willingly became a servant. Why? To bring us the good news. Not just to hear it, to own it. Isn't that great? So you have Christ setting that example. Paul is following that example. We're going to get to chapter 11, which I love chapter 11, where Paul is saying, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. Now, follow me alone sounds boasting, doesn't it? If I said to someone, everybody follow me. No, he says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm giving you a living, tangible example of what it's like to follow Christ who's heading in the right direction. And that's all you're doing, folks. All you have, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior and believed upon Him, and you're just like a, a brand new child in Christ, you know enough, you know enough to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? And you're going to be able to say that to people I don't even know. So this isn't getting people to church or sending them a sermon. It's just saying, hey, I want to invite you to join me as I follow Christ. So to me, it's such a profound, profound statement that he makes in verse 19. And it's very consistent with what uh, he goes on to say in verse 22, because in 19 he said, makes a statement, which that verse is, is just powerful. In, in, in uh, chapter 9, verse 22, it says, I'm all things to all people. He says, to the Jews, I'm a Jew. To the Gentiles, I'm a Gentile. To the weak, I'm weak. Now, that doesn't mean he's wishy-washy. <laughs> You'll find this when you read Paul. He's not wishy-washy. On the things that matter, like truth, he's going to fight. He's going to fight. He's not, he's not going to compromise one iota of gospel truth. However, you know what? Um, it, if, if there are just cultural things or, you know, he's, gonna, he, he's not going to let his rights get in the way. He's going to eat their food. He's going he's gonna to stay at that house. He's, gonna, he's not going to complain. 
he's going he's gonna to really submit his preferences, the things he likes, instead of saying, well, I have a right to do that. You know, I think a lot of Christians lose their opportunity when they start focusing on, I have a right to do this, I can have a right to do that. There's nothing wrong, you know, you ever heard that before? There's nothing wrong with that. So is that, is that your standard? No. There's a lot of things that, that I don't do it's because I feel like they're wrong. But you know what? It just doesn't help. It doesn't help other people. And so in Galatians 5 and verse 24, it says, For you were called. Remember I mentioned that verse early on? For you were called to be free. He said, But uh, brothers, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for your flesh, your old nature, but serve one another. In other words, if you have freedom, you're free. Don't indulge your sinful nature. Don't indulge yourself with your freedom, but use your freedom to serve. Use your freedom to serve. That's, this is his point. This is his point. And I see that, uh, I just, I wrote down, I'm trying to think this through this practically, because I think we overthink this, that, you know, we got to go to get this education, we have to get all these training and everything else. It's as simple as this. I'm following Christ. I'm so excited about this. Come and join me. That's it. Wherever you are. We have a lot of PhDs in theology that don't do that. So, the Apostle Paul, of course, has unique gifts, preaching and teaching the Word. Not all of us have that. We're going to find that in chapter 12 where God gives different giftedness and abilities to all people. You exercise whatever God's gifted you, but... Here are, are three ways you can start winning people over to the, the good news, okay? Just real simple. Number one, be authentic. Authenticity. Be real. Be humble. Um, honest. Growing. Transparent. That doesn't mean you spill your guts about everything, but it, it's, it's like you're real. We live in a day where everything is so superficial. You see pictures on Facebook. I said, that doesn't look like that person, <laughs> I think, you know what, I see them, and then I look at that, and every picture that goes up, that does, well, what do they call it, Photoshopping or whatever else? But uh, it sounds good if you, have, if you never have to go out in public. <laughs> but uh, hello, people got to go out in public and people see the real thing. But, you know, we're so good at image management. Um, we, we, we feel like we, and, and, and to me, these the social media type stuff just, just fuels that. So I want to project an image of what I'd like to be. I know I'm really not like that. <laughs> But that's what I'd like to be. And, and, and then kids get discouraged, depressed, suicide rates are skyrocketed with teens because, because they can't measure up. And nothing's real. Nothing's real. Can I tell you what millennials want today? Because I really, I, I, at least I try to stay engaged with what young people want. They don't want a great rock band and a phenomenal speaker and a, and a lot of fun and, and the, the, the pastor dresses in skinny jeans um, and shaves his head. You know, I, I, w I wouldn't do that to you even if I thought it worked. Um, I, I, t I tell you what they, what they want is authenticity. They want what's real, and they want relationship. It's real. That's why the whole gospel message is built, the way it goes out is through relationships. 
It's not through events. It's not big stuff. It's not wowing people to Jesus. He doesn't need us to wow people to him. It's about relationship vertically. It's about relationship horizontally. Everything is about relationship. This is how it happens. It's slow. It's hard. (laughs) And it's really good. Because it's real. So, folks, we just need to be authentic, growing, inviting people along the way, being transparent with what God's doing in our lives. So be authentic. Just be real. You're struggling? We share it together. We pray together. We work together. We labor together. Number two, be aware. Be, be aware of what's around you. See life like God sees it. See circumstances like God sees circumstances. And listen to this. This is hard. View people like God views them. That includes the one that just cut you off in traffic. <clears throat> you know, there are so many people, I shouldn't say that, but it, c- it could irritate me if I'm in a hurry. <laughs> and um, you, you may be that way too. And, uh, you know, I think, I wonder how God views that person. I know how I view them, obnoxious, rude. You know, I'm going to say something to them. I'm going to, you know, and I've actually treated people unkindly probably through time, and, you know, because I'm not viewing them like God views them. I'm viewing them selfishly. I had to wait. I didn't get what I wanted. So the awareness is what God's doing big picture, okay? Don't see life as this and just you. See it big picture people and eternally what he's doing. God is at work. Did you know what? God's at work in obnoxious people. God's at work in those relatives you can't get along with. God's at work in our enemies. I'm just saying, ask God to help you see people like he sees them. For God so loved the world. And he says, love your neighbor. He says, love your enemies, doesn't he? That's not easy to do. The only way you can do it is is think back to the way God loved you. If you, don't, if you don't take it back to the way God loved you and the way Christ loved you, you can't do this. So be aware. God's at work, has been at work, will be at work. Okay? Third, be authentic, be aware, and then be available. Just be available. I've told the guys I'm in our, in our discipleship group, I said, don't go kicking doors down. Just be available. Just be available. In fact, someone was saying, uh, there's a big crisis. I need to go over and deal with it and uh, help someone. And and the advice given was, show up and shut up. (laughs) Just be there. Someone lost a loved one, show up and shut up. Just be there and be available. Be available. Available to serve. Available to do something. And you know what? When When we're back to back to back to back to back with our agenda, my agenda, what I got to get done today, we have no margin, no room to be inconvenienced. Now, I probably should put a mirror right up here <laughs> as I preach this sermon because it's not real easy for me to do because I, you know what, I get up every day, I've got a bunch of stuff I got to get done and anything that slows me down becomes a point of frustration for me and I'm not seeing what God's doing. 
God, God may be, this may be a divine appointment. This may be an assignment he has for me, and I, and I want to push him out of the way to get done what I'm doing. So don't miss this. It, this is not your agenda. It's God's agenda, and his greatest agenda today is that all people come to know him and have eternal life. So see, every inconvenience is a possible appointment for you, and don't miss it. So what, is, what do we conclude after reading through 23 verses? Where do we go from here? What are we free to do? What are we free to do? And here, here, is, here is a summary statement we can put up for all of us. You are free. Free. Can you say that with me? Free. Say it again. Free. Not to do what you want, but you are free to follow Jesus. To fulfill his purpose for your life because he has a purpose for your life. And to find the joy and peace that only he can give. Only he can give. You will never have a fulfilled, purposeful, meaningful, joyful, peaceful life apart from following him. So you are free to follow Jesus and you are free to turn around and invite someone else to join you. That's really our message. Follow him, follow Jesus, help others do the same. I hope <laughs> till my dying day, that's my focus and not about me and my rights. Now, you see how Paul, I mean, through a very real, personal, earthly, financial <laughs> accommodation thing, is driving to this same point. He does that through all of his writings, through all the gospel. So we thank God for that. Lord, I just pray for our church, our family here. Oh, wow, we're, we're so much like Corinth. We're so much like these people 2,000 years ago because we tend to get started right and then we get selfish, and then we everybody is an inconvenience to us. I just pray that we would recognize our rights, Lord. Uh, we can defend our rights, but help us to give our energy, our passion to what our responsibility is to sharing the good news of eternal life. That we would do that by being authentic, being aware of what you're doing around us, and just be available. Lord, and we trust in you for that. And I pray many, many, many people in this city, our family members, our friends, our enemies, would come to know the joy and the peace only found in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.